Turn in your Bible. I have a number of scriptures tonight to give you. And the text is found in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. But we will be using a number of other scriptures as we think together tonight about that theme, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. I want to just let you in on a little secret. It's a fearsome thing to stand and preach the Word of God. It's an awesome thing to stand and preach the Word of God. And I never come to this pulpit without butterflies in my stomach. Somebody said, do you ever get used to preaching, and being in public, standing in front of the people? I don't ever get used to it. Sometimes I'd like to run out the back door because of the message that I feel like God has put on my heart. And yet God has given it to me to preach to you. So I come tonight asking you to pray that the Lord will speak to us through this. John chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 19. May we pray together first. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of preaching the Word of God, for the dear people of God who come faithfully and are part of this, Thy people, Thy body, the church, the body of Christ. We thank You for every visitor here tonight. We thank You for these preachers here tonight who faithfully preach the Word. Lord, open our hearts to hear from heaven what God would say to us. May we be led by the Holy Spirit. We pray that if there's one person in this place who is not saved, that he'll come to Christ. That every Christian will be encouraged to be a voice in the wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen. All of us are aware that this book of John is one of the most spiritual books in the entire Bible. It begins with a description of the pre-incarnate Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And all of that speaks of Jesus. Now John the Baptist was the introducer of Jesus. And beginning in verse 15, it says, John bore witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elijah? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. 
And they who were sent were the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou art not the Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to loose. Who are you, John? I'm not Elijah. Although Jesus said later, if you could accept it, if you could understand it, the spirit of Elijah was on John, and he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. There was something about John that made them say, are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? Are you Jeremiah? Are you the Christ? And John confessed and denied not. He said, no, as far as I know, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Jeremiah, I'm not the Christ. And I want to hasten to say that sometimes there were prophets, and John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. There were prophets who did not understand their office. There were prophets who did not understand their message. They just spoke what God said to them to speak, and they let the chips fall where they would. And even though we learn from the Lord Jesus later that the spirit of, G of Elijah was on John the Baptist, apparently John did not know that about himself. And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not one of the prophets. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, John was acquainted with the Old Testament. He knew that passage in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she hath received at the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. John knew about that prophecy. And in that sense, he identified himself with the fulfillment of that. He said, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Now I want to take that out of its context tonight, which is something I don't like to do because I like to study the Scripture right in the Scripture and do expository preaching. But God has laid this on my heart. What does it mean that John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness? If someone should come to you today and say, who are you? What do you mean, who am I? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Anybody mistaken you for Elijah? Is anybody mistaken you for Jeremiah? They did Jesus. They thought Jesus, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? Some of them said, well, some people think you're Jeremiah because you're, you're like the weeping prophet. Others think you're another, one of the other prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And they recognized who he was. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, what kind of a witness, what kind of a witness in today's world, as we prepare for the world of tomorrow, are we, the Glendale Baptist Church? individual people, individual Christians, individual members of this body, and those who are visiting with us tonight. What kind of a person are you? Somebody says, who are you? 
well, I'm John, or I'm Philip, or I'm Cleo, or I'm Mary, or I'm Bernice, or I'm something like that. That that what you are? John didn't say, well, I'm just John. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I have a commission. I have a message. And that message burns in my soul. And I must get it out. It's burning. It's burning in my soul. It's bubbling. It's bubbling in my soul. John said, I have something inside my bones. I have something inside my heart. I have something inside my mind. I have something in my life. And I must tell it. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And I want to submit to you tonight that each of us who names the name of Christ needs to be a voice crying in a dark world. The term for wilderness, sometimes we get the idea, well, maybe wilderness is some deep forest, a wooded area. And in some instances, it, it might be. Sometimes we get the idea that the wilderness is a desert area. Wilderness. And you look out for miles and there's nothing but dearth. And sometimes it is like that. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, among whom you're to shine as luminaries in a dark and perverse world. We are to be a voice in a dark and perverse world as we approach the world of tomorrow. And we're right on the brink of it. I've been interested. I've been reading sometimes recently the Wall Street Journal. I'm not advertising for it. But I read, I think I referred to this in a message not long ago. I read an article in it that was really interesting to me. You see, a number of years ago, Everybody was wringing their hands and pulling their hair and they were saying, what shall we do? There is such a vast population explosion, pretty soon we'll not be able to feed the people of the world. What shall we do? And they said, here in America, we must do something about it. Why, there's going to be such a population explosion that we can't feed ourselves in America. I read that in the papers. I heard it on the radio. You did too. The Wall Street Journal came out with an article about, a month, about a, two or three weeks ago. And they said that some of the great leaders of America are now scratching their heads and wringing their hands and walking the floor and wondering what has happened to our fertility rate. The birth rate in America has gone down, 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 down. And we may not even have enough people in the West to outmaneuver the people of the East. The question is no longer how we're going to feed ourselves. The question is how we're going to defend ourselves against the onrush of the Eastern world, the third world countries, and the communist countries. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, we need to get back to what the Word of God says and just bury ourselves in the Word and find out what God wants to do and what God is about and let everything else take care of itself. There's a very interesting statement that Paul, the apostle, makes in the second Timothy chapter four. This is one of the most familiar phrases in his vocabulary, in all the writings of, of Paul. He said, I fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. There are men and women today who are not keeping the faith. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first, somebody said. And there are lots of people who are going and they're getting in the airplanes of their lives and they're going up like that and then they have a nosedive. And then they go up a little bit and they have another nosedive. Now God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to get in that plane and go on and on and on to victory. But what about the nosedives? Are we to give up, curl up on a knot and die? Say, well, I just am a failure. I can't get it done, so I'll quit. A thousand times no. David had a nosedive. Simon Peter had a nosedive. Abraham had a nosedive. Noah had a nosedive. All of those men that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 as the men of faith, I would to God that they could have gotten in that air, jet airplane. They didn't have any jets then, but I wish they could have gotten on and just gone on. But, you know, God uses them anyway. And did you know that the apostle Paul had some nosedives too in his life? He had a thorn in the flesh. Some people wondered what that thorn in the flesh is. Some people said it was poor eyesight, might have been. Some said it was maybe it was a lame limb, might have been. Others have said, well, maybe he was, was melancholy. Suf subject to depression. He said one time, I waver between glory and depression. And if you read carefully the Apostle Paul, sometimes you find that he pumps things up because he himself has been at a low ebb. But Paul could say victoriously, writing from a Roman prison, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. That is what God has put on the Christian to be and do in a dark world. Now, what about the world to come? And incidentally, I could speak uh, tonight about that man that speaks of the world to come. I guess you've never heard him on television or radio. He has an international broadcast, and he says, The world tomorrow. Now, you've never heard of that, sure. I did a little research on him. Uh, he is the self-styled prophet of the one true church. He started out as an advertising salesman in Des Moines. He was influenced by the teachings of an Adventist offshoot. His wife convinced him that salvation was only possible by keeping all of God's commandments. These injunctions were later to become the integral part of the world church of God doctrine. Sabbath keeping, Old Testament kosher laws, observance of Jewish feasts, rejection of the Trinity, non-involvement in governmental affairs, denial of hell, annihilation of the wicked, Anglo-Israelism, a belief that caused him to split with the Church of God of the Seventh Day. <clears throat> he almost never mentions some of those things that are beliefs, strange doctrines, 
triple tithing on one's gross income, racial superiority for whites, prohibition against doctors and surgery. I went into a doctor's office. One of the strangest things I found, that beautiful, slick material, the plain truth. I said to the doctor, why, you, why do you have this in your office? Oh, he said, that's a, that's a sharp magazine. I said, do you know what the man believes that preaches, that, that puts that out? I said, he didn't believe that people ought to go to doctors. I think he took it out of his office. I hope so. One of the strange things this man believes is that England and America are Ephraim and Manasseh. It's called British Israelitism. And that the promises in the Old Testament and the New Testament made to the Jews and to Israel are promises that are no longer on Israel, but they're promises to England and America. Because, as he puts it, those northern tribes that went into Assyrian captivity migrated northward and became the Anglo-Saxons, and therefore the blessings of God and the promises of God are on England and America, the Anglo-Saxons, and that Queen Elizabeth sits on the throne that one day Christ will occupy because it's the throne of Ephraim and Manasseh. Now these are some of the strange teachings But is all we know about the world tomorrow what we hear on that television program or on that radio program or you read in that slick magazine? The Bible says that we're preparing for a very severe shot, a very severe jolt. And I want you to turn with me in Revelation chapter 6 tonight and we want to see just a brief overview of what we can expect in the years ahead. Now, I want to unapologetically tell you that I believe that anybody who reads carefully the Scripture, especially carefully 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before them which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air now I don't know how you can get anything out of that except that the dead in Christ are going to rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord that's what God says and I believe it and so if I understand that and put it together with the rest of the scripture, it means that much of what we're going to see unfolding in Revelation chapter 6, the body of Christ will not be here to see it. We'll see it from heaven. And the world is shaping up for a great invasion from outer space, not necessarily Mars or Jupiter, as Orson Welles told us in that famous radio broadcast years and years ago but the invasion from outer space is the invasion of the Lord Christ himself the Lord God omnipotent 
who reigns forever and ever. And one day will come back and he will show us in this earth how the earth can be ruled in a godly way. But that will have to wait until he comes. But when we come to the sixth chapter of Revelation, we have sort of an overview of what's going to happen during that dark period after the church is called out. And if I read carefully and correctly in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice that I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me and said, come up here and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that refers to the rapture. The believers of the Lord Jesus Christ moving out of this. And in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we have scenes set in heaven. Those great hymns of creation, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and all those wonderful hymns culminating in Revelation chapter 5. They sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to loose the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and people and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That's the song. Those are the songs of heaven. Those are the songs we're going to enjoy singing. I like the way we sang tonight, Hallelujah for the Cross. And all those wonderful songs this morning, Beneath the Cross of Jesus and the Old Rugged Cross. And Meet Me There. And those great hymns. We're going to sing again in the heavenly kingdom. But what is this world tomorrow looking forward? And how are we to be a voice crying in the wilderness, a wilderness of confusion, a wilderness of perverseness, a wilderness of, wilderness of sin, a world in the wilderness that is getting darker and darker? How are we going to be able to come at the end and say with Paul, I have testified? We've got to be aware of what God's Word says about the future. So I want you to look at Revelation 6 just for a moment. And I'm not going to take all evening, although I could very well because this is on my heart. But look at verse chapter 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four living creatures saying, Come. Now keep in mind that we have just gotten to heaven. If, if this is the way, if I'm not misrepresenting it, and I want to say quickly, that I do not speak with the words of a know-it-all or the presumptuous steps of somebody who has the final word. But this is the way I understand the scripture to speak. It's the way I understand it. You may see it a different way. But in chapter 4, the rapture. And then the songs in heaven. And then that book. That book that was written. And it was a book like this. Of course, not exactly like this. A book, though, sealed with seven seals. And inside that book were all the panoramic things that were to come in the earth, but the book was sealed. And John sat down and wept because there was nobody found worthy to open the book or to loose the seals thereof. And while he was weeping, somebody came along and said, John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the book and loose the seals thereof. That's Jesus. And then that great song went up, Thou art worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God and so on. And so the book is open. And in chapter 6, we have the first seal broken. And we begin to see what's going to happen. Look in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering 
and to conquer. You say, boy, that's, that must mean Jesus. Uh, he's on a white horse. And he's going forth conquering to conquer. I want you to know, notice that he has a bow but no arrow. He does not conquer by force. Now those who are, who believe that the church is going to bring in the kingdom could easily say, well, I, I think that, that must mean that that's Jesus in the lives of people. He's going to go out here and we're going to get rid of war and we're going to have a time of world peace, world peace. The problem is that does not line up with the rest of Scripture. The man on the white horse here is not Jesus. He is the imposter of Jesus. He is the anti-Jesus. He is the anti-Christ. And the reason he goes forth conquering and to conquer with just a bowl is because he is accepted because he's going to give the answer to world peace. Now I want to tell you, if there should arise on the scene some great leader and isn't it interesting how all the press love Garbashov? Have you ever noticed that? Our media in America are deflating our president, saying mean, ugly, honoring things about him. And every time they talk about Gubashov or Garbashov, they lift him up and they exalt him. And they say, he is a world peace man. And the nations of Europe, believe it or not, are believing that well, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist. I certainly wouldn't say that. I don't believe he is. But I want to tell you, whenever anybody comes along and can give an answer to world peace and say, we have the answer, we have the answer, we have the answer, there are going to be thousands and thousands of people that will get on the bandwagon. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. And they got on the bandwagon with him, didn't they? And that's what they'll do with the Antichrist. He's not going to take this world by force. They're going to fall into his hands. And the white horse man will go forth conquering the conquer without firing a shot. But wait a minute. He hadn't revealed himself for what he is. Let's go to verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. Worldwide war and bloodshed. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now that white horseman soon turns into a red horseman. And the man who started out with peace soon reveals himself for what he, what he really is. Adolf Hitler was like that. Now, during the days of Hitler, there, there were people, many, some of you were alive in Hitler's day. You remember this, if you went to church at all or heard any kind of spiritual truth, people would say, well, I wonder if Hitler's the Antichrist. Or I wonder if so-and-so is Mussolini, the Antichrist, or Tojo, and so on. They were not the Antichrist. I'm not saying to you that we know who the Antichrist, we cannot know who he is until he is revealed, until after the believers are taken out according to first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But shortly after that man on the white horse takes over things, then he will be revealed for what he is. 
When Hitler got into a position in power in Germany, then he could put all the Jews in freight cars and ship them to the concentration camps and get rid of them. Six million Jews. That's what we're facing. Now notice the third seal in verse 5. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A measure of wheat for a denarius, and three measures of barley for a denarius. And see thou, hurt not the oil and the wine. Famine. World famine. The third seal. What about this white horse man? Everybody loved him. Conquering him to conquer. No arrow, just a bow. Everybody applauded him. The world man of peace. He soon, soon turned into midnight terror of war. And then famine. All of this in the future for this world. The world tomorrow. And look at verse 7, the fourth seal. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. And power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Death and Hell reigning on this earth. I heard Georgie Vins tell about being put in a Siberian concentration camp. Some of you heard this. The reason was because he, in Russia, he, it was against the law for him to witness to young people. He witnessed to them anyway, one of some of them to Jesus and baptized them. Had Sunday schools in the underground area. And Georgie then said that one day they arrested him, took him over to Siberia, and put him in this prison. And he said, they didn't exactly torture us, but there were rats in that prison that were huge. And he said, we never knew who the rats would eat that night. And the next morning we would find our comrades dead, eaten by the rats. And we were compelled to go out and dig a mass grave and bury them. And we didn't know where that the next day would be our burial. He's the dissident that President Carter got out at the end of his term of service. He came to America. We had him here in this church. Persecution. Hell on earth. Georgie Vin says it's like hell. Like living in hell. It's going to get darker. The world tomorrow is going to have more and more inhumanity to man. Look at verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants, also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, 
should be fulfilled. What is that saying? That during that awful period of tribulation, and we can get to that in another passage, there, there were Jewish evangelists, 144,000, who went out and witnessed. And there were many, many people that got saved. And as they gave their hearts to the Lord, they had to pay for it with their life. Because they refused the mark of the beast, and without the mark of the beast, there was no selling. There was no commerce. They could not buy, they could not sell, and they died. Will there be people saved during the tribulation? Yes. The church will not be here. The church will not be the keeper of the gospel of the Lord. We'll be with the Lord. But the word of God will come forth to the world through the Jews as it did in the Old Testament period. And these saints that are under the altar are those whose blood was shed for the word of God. And they cry, Lord, how long? How long? Lord, how long? Ere we be avenged. And the answer is, just a little while until the others that are going to be saved have to pay for it with their life and they'll come out too. You say, you're painting a dark picture. Yes, I am. The world tomorrow is not going to be that attractive as you. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning of this week. I'm saying that's the world tomorrow. That's what's going to happen on this earth. Let me go a step further and look at the sixth seal, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as fig trees casteth a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken by a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll and is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? We are living in the gospel age right now. This is the age of the church. This is the age of grace. John said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Everyone in this room who names the name of Christ is a voice crying in a wilderness. And we need to warn. Amen. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when you'll no longer hear this free, open invitation. Amen. And in that day, the great men of the earth and the kings and the men on the thrones will hide their faces from him that sits on the throne. Because they had their opportunity and they rejected it. And they're now under the wrath of God. In Sunday school this morning we talked about four great powers. The power of the devil. The power of prayer. The power of the wrath of God. And I want to tell you the wrath of God is going to be unveiled and unleashed against a world that has shaken its fist at God and said, God, we don't need you. Right now, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
every believer needs to be salty. We need to have light. We need to shine as luminaries in a dark and perverse world. We need to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I think we need to do it at the pole. I think we need to do it by telephone in contact with congressmen and the president and others. I don't believe Christians ought to sit around and be, be disengaged from the things of this government and the world. We need to do it out there and knocking on doors and talking to people about Christ. And when we go to the restaurants, we need to pause and thank the Lord for our food. That's just a quiet customer. Somebody says, well, that's a holy joyism. That's acting pious. No, it isn't. It's just a witness that you're saved, and you want to thank the Lord for your food. Amen. And people notice it. And they'll serve it. And it'll be a good testimony to Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This world is going to get dark. This world is on fire with greed and sin and heartache. And it's going down, down, down. But I have good news for you. I'm on the old ship of Zion that's going down. Not, not. And Jesus is the captain of that ship. And he's promised that everyone who gets on board that ship is going to stay along in that shining sea to the glory of Come and join us. Out of the Riverside Church this afternoon, we sang the old song, I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. That needs to be the national anthem of God's people. The promised land on Cain's fair best. I, I, I stand with, with, with a wishful eye. I can't say all the words. I have a wishful eye for Canaan's land over there. And I'm on my way. But all who will come and go. Listen, we don't have time to play. I don't mean you can't play a ball game. I don't mean you can't go boating. I enjoy the water. I hope sometime this summer I get to go out on the lake. But we don't have time to play at the game of church. We don't have time to play at the game of spiritual truth. This is life in earth. And I believe in a philosophy of history that says that history is going somewhere. It is story. And we read about it in the Bible. And when Paul said, I have kept the faith, that was really saying something. And when John said, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Jeremiah, I'm not the Christ, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and they beheaded him. I want to ask you, are we willing to take a stand like that for Jesus Christ? Are we willing to say, I will be a voice crying in the wilderness? Save the world that hates God. A world that is on its way down to a dark, dismal abyss. Come. I want to lead you to the old ship of time. If you get on board, there'll be a rescue. Brother Tapley and I were talking about some people's uh, understanding of soul winning. Some people say, well, you know, I'm not going to go witness to anybody until I pray and find out that God definitely wants me to go to that place. Well, that sounds good. I believe God definitely puts definite people on our hearts that we'll go visit. But, I want to ask you. If you were on a ship, and you saw two men overboard in the ocean, and they were going down, would you say, hey, 
of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the Lord that is our theme that is our mandate that is what we're all about as we face the world tomorrow I may be wrong on some of these prophetic truths I think this is the way it, the scripture teaches that's what I believe but whether, whether the details are all exact or not there's one certain thing the world is getting dark and we're not going to issue in peace until Christ comes. He's the one that will bring peace. But we can give peace to people's hearts. We can say, hey, somebody, I know something will give you rest. Jesus said, come unto me, all you to labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I know somebody will bring peace to your troubled soul and your troubled home and your troubled mind, the Lord Christ. And when we get back down to our King's soul and we look back, won't it be wonderful to hear you say, I've kept it. I've kept it. I did what God told me to do. I've kept it. I've done more than I would. I wish I could have been present. I'll, we'll know about it one day in heaven when John the Baptist got home. I think God put out his great welcoming battalion. I think all of heaven came to rushing to the scene that John the Baptist had just been beheaded. Came home to heaven. His spirit came there. One day he's going to get a new body. So will we. But I believe over there in heaven, I believe there was celebration. As they said, John, John, God bless you. You were the boy's.